Hi there! Welcome to Explain This, a podcast where we try to explain complex things in simpler ways for people of all ages. I'm your host Jen Kim, and today we'll talk about the cryptic world of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and blockchains. Let's get started. Back in 2017, everyone started talking about something called cryptocurrency. Whether it be bitcoins and drugs, overnight millionaires, or in recent years, dogecoin and NFTs, whatever they mean, the topic of cryptocurrency keeps popping up on the news and internet from time to time. I thought cryptocurrency would be a great explain this topic to return to from our break, since it's one of those topics where everyone's heard about it, but few people really know what it actually is, let alone how on earth it works. Before we begin, we're going to clarify a few terms with one sentence, so we can gently ease you into this crazy world. So here's the sentence, pay attention. Bitcoin is an example of a cryptocurrency, which is a virtual currency built on blockchain technology. Now, before you go running away with your hands on your ears going la 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 la, don't worry, we are going to go over each of those things in much more detail over the course of this episode, in a way that you can understand of course. So buckle up. As usual, we'll kick off by explaining cryptocurrency to you as if you're a child. But today, we have a treat, because we can use a story from the real world as an explanation. In the Pacific Islands, specifically in Micronesia, there's an island called Yap. The Yapis people have a very curious way of using money. See, we pay people with coins and notes if we want to buy something. Because money is like a promise we make to each other, saying, this rectangular piece of green paper is this valuable. But the Yappies developed something completely different to our money, called rye stones. Now these are big round limestone discs with a hole, kind of like a giant rock donut, something you'd see from the Flintstones. They're so big that they're 3.6 meters wide and 4,000 kilograms heavy. That's almost the weight of three cars. These stones are so big that if you wanted to move it around, you need a lot of people and equipment. And because it takes so much effort to move around, you can't really steal it. Besides, you're living on an island, everyone's going to know that you stole it from someone. So it makes for a nice permanent marker of wealth. To put it in terms that we could understand, you could say that if you own one rye stone, it's like having $10,000 in your bank account. Now, because these stones are so dang annoying to move, If you had to pay someone with your rye stone, say because you wanted to buy a house, then you wouldn't physically give them your rye stone. Instead, you announce that your rye stone belongs to Jim now. Then Jim can use the value of that rye stone for whatever he wants to buy in the future. The rest of the village will hear about this transfer of ownership, and all speak of this amazing story of how Bob sold his rye stone to Jim. Apparently there's nothing more interesting than talking about how people transferred stones to each other in this island. Anyway, this means that the village keeps an oral record of who owns what, purely through stories. This is a type of ledger where you record all the money that you spend and all the money that you earn, so you can compare how much went in, how much went out. Every transaction is recorded on the ledger. The cool thing about rye stones is that it's not the stone that holds the value, but the ledger. One time, a rye stone got dropped off a canoe and fell into the ocean, sinking to the ocean floor. What a disaster, that's like losing a wallet full of $10,000, right? Well, the Yappies decided, eh, well, the stone is still there, technically, so the record lives on. So they kept trading that rye stone as if it was still on land, and the value wasn't lost, 
And you could continue to trade with it, because according to the ledger, it's as if the stone never moved, it's still physically there. Cryptocurrency works similarly to the Yappies rice stones, but instead of big stones, you have digital currencies such as Bitcoin, which only exist virtually in computer world on the internet. And instead of an oral ledger that people talk about, every transaction is recorded digitally using really, really complicated maths. Every time someone makes a transaction, you add a block of data to the ledger, forming a chain of blocks. A blockchain, if you will. Because everyone can see this ledger publicly, you can't cheat and steal or make new money. It's very secure, quick, anonymous, and avoids all the middlemen like banks and governments. But of course, there's so much more to talk about, so we're going to grow up again and talk about cryptocurrency and blockchain in much more detail. Welcome back. Alright, so the Yappies Rhystones are a fascinating example of how you don't need physical money to transfer ownership or exchange value. What you need is a ledger. That is, a record of how much money changes hands. Well, a blockchain is a very clever advanced technological solution for creating a modern digital ledger. Now you could write a ledger on a piece of paper or a book like people have done for centuries, but there are so many issues with this. Who's to stop someone, say the government, from altering the ledger? They might just say, nah, we never saw that $1,000 go into your account. Doesn't exist. Also, you have to talk to the bank every time you want to make a transaction so they can edit the ledger too which is a bit of a hassle, especially if they charge you for every transaction. So what we want is a public, robust, unalterable ledger with no middlemen. This is where blockchain comes in. Now talk through an example of how a single transaction works on a blockchain, and then we'll explain the nitty gritties afterwards. So let's say I want to buy some stickers from a Japanese website. Highly recommend one called B-Side Label. Very cool stickers. So I go click, 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 and say I want to pay with Bitcoin. So this is a transaction because I want to give my money to buy something on the internet. Now the transaction is broadcast onto the blockchain network through the internet. Essentially, there's a vast network of computers around the world that receives this information. The computers then get a challenge. Who can solve this math question first? So they get to work, furiously working hard to solve the problem. And mind you, this isn't like a, what is 2 plus 2? This is a much more complicated math problem. The first computer to complete it puts their hands up, says, oh, oh, I've done it, I've done it, and then they get rewarded with a bit of money in the form of bitcoins. This is called mining because it's as if the computers are digging tirelessly in a mine for pieces of gold. Once the calculation is complete and the computer puts its hand up and the reward's given out, then the transaction's also considered verified because someone's done work to prove that the transaction is real. Then it becomes part of a block of data with a bunch of other transactions. Once this block is full, it gets sealed shut, never to be changed again. And then another transaction comes along, so you add a new block to the previous block. And the blocks are just linked together like a chain. And that's all a blockchain really is, a string of sealed blocks of data, where you can see every transaction made and when they were made in chronological order. But you can't change any part of it because it's all sealed shut. It sounds simple in theory, but it works because Hacking the blockchain is essentially impossible. There's too many computers and blocks and transactions. If anyone tried to make up their own ledger, it wouldn't work because it wouldn't hold up to the public ledger that all the other computers share. So the network will just be all, nah bro, you're fibbing, and reject the fake transaction. This is called a distributed ledger, 
and is the crux of blockchain technology. It essentially means that there are thousands of ledgers shared by lots of different computers around the world, and they all compare with each other if it's all kosher and on the same page. Plus, because the maths questions are really, really hard ones, they take a lot of computational power to finish. So you can't just make a computer that solves all the questions much quicker than everyone else, stealing all the Bitcoin that's mined. So that's a reasonably fair system. The reason we're talking about how blockchains work first is because you need to know how it works to understand why it's worth using. For example, the reason why cryptocurrencies exist is because blockchains are a reliable way to create a ledger that's public, transparent, and secure. If your ledger was vulnerable to people misusing it, then no one would trust the currency. People would just be making up hundreds of bitcoins on their ledger and saying, oh yeah, it was totally there when I found it. Alright, so let's take a short break so you can process all that. Next, we'll talk more about cryptocurrencies themselves. Specifically, the first and most famous one, Bitcoin. And we're back. Okay, so we covered how blockchain technology works at a very, very simplified level. Let me be clear that the actual process is much, much more intricate and complicated, but it would take hours of lecturing to cover all that. So, what can we use this awesome technology for? Well, the most famous use case, the reason why you're probably wanting to know about blockchains in the first place, is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is a type of virtual money, where the inherent value of the currency is based on cryptography, that is, code breaking and encrypting. Remember how on the blockchain, a transaction is processed into a block when a computer successfully solves a maths problem? Well, the maths problem they solve, at least in the case of Bitcoin, is running a cryptographic algorithm called a hash function. All you need to know is that it's a process where you convert a string of numbers and letters into a different string of numbers and letters. And to do that, you need a specific amount of computing power. That's it. That's all you need to know. If you really want to know more, you can look up the SHA-256 function, but if you're put off already by the name of that function, great. You'll listen to the right kind of podcast. So let's keep going. Anyway, you can see that even from the name, cryptography is an essential part of cryptocurrency. This is because for a currency to be relevant, you need to peg it to something of value. Currencies used to be pegged to precious metals, like gold. For example, in the 20th century, much of the world's finances were tied to the US dollar, which was fixed to the value of gold. As in, 35 US dollars were worth 1 troy ounce of gold. The US government was essentially promising that you could trade in $35 for an ounce of gold. We call this kind of money fiat currency. But this changed in 1971 when the Nixon administration decided, nah, we're going to scrap all that and take it back our promise. So nowadays, our money is not really backed by anything, other than a complicated house of cards with the value of money coming from the promise of governments, rather than anything tangible. In the case of crypto, the value of the currency comes from computational work. There are hundreds of different types of cryptocurrency with various mechanisms of how they work, so we're going to focus on the top dog of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency, invented in 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto. We have no idea who Satoshi Nakamoto is, they never identified themselves. It might be a pseudonym, or it might even be a group of people. Anyway, like we mentioned before, Bitcoin is a virtual currency that's based on a distributed ledger called the blockchain, which is a chain of data blocks containing all the transactions that have happened on the Bitcoin network. Hopefully the more we repeat that concept, the more it makes sense, because it is an unusual technology. Now, unlike fiat currency, where the value of money is backed by a physical thing like gold, 
The thing that backs the value of Bitcoin is the maths the computers do to validate the transactions, as in that complicated cryptography maths that we call mining. Because mining requires a huge amount of computer power, it acts as a reliable source of value. Think about the cost of mining, such as electricity used by the computer and the opportunity cost of not being able to use a computer to play video games. This is called the proof-of-work system, because you have to show that you've done the computational homework to get rewarded, and for transactions to be verified and approved. It's the basis of the whole system. With fiat currency, money is printed by the government's central bank. In the case of Bitcoin, new Bitcoin is minted through the mining process. So that's how the value is tied. When you do computational work for a transaction, you get rewarded with new Bitcoins that's introduced into the system. Because there's only so many Bitcoins produced by mining, there's also scarcity, which is a fundamental property of any currency. You can't just have infinite amount of money because then it wouldn't be worth anything. In the case of cryptocurrencies, the money doesn't exist anywhere in physical form, which sounds weird, but it's actually not that different to the money in your bank account. Most of it's virtual because of the way modern banking works. Remember back to the story of the island of Yap and the rice stones? Well, Bitcoin is very similar. Let's say you buy one Bitcoin. The Bitcoins go into a wallet, which exists on a Bitcoin network. Now, all the computers on the network hear that you put a coin in the wallet and diligently record it onto a block on the blockchain. What this means is that all the computers with their individual ledgers record that Danielle has one Bitcoin in her wallet and every other computer says, here, here. There's an agreement so that one Bitcoin exists in your wallet. It's like a virtual promise that makes things real. If you were to transfer half of your Bitcoin to your friend Jeffrey, then that becomes a new transaction. The network sees the transaction, the mining computers furiously solve the mass problem, then when it's complete, the transaction is recorded as a block on the blockchain. Then, every computer on the network will see the blockchain, and they'll say, oh look, the ledger says Danielle gave Jeffrey half a Bitcoin, and all the computers not in agreement again. So now, Danielle and Jeffrey both have half a Bitcoin in their wallet. And neither can lose that amount because the blockchain on the network will always remember that. It's an immutable fact. It's essentially as if every time someone buys or sells bitcoins, you tell a classroom of students, I'm selling half a bitcoin to my friend. The students all write this down onto their book, and they change Danielle 1, Jeffrey 0 to Danielle 0.5, Jeffrey 0.5. Now, if a week later, Danielle forgot how much bitcoin she sold to Jeffrey, all they have to do is check the students' books to see who owns how much Bitcoin. But the clever thing is, even if one student got bribed by Jeffrey to write Danielle 0, Jeffrey 1, the 29 other students would have wrote Danielle 0.5, Jeffrey 0.5. So Silly Billy's book is ignored because it doesn't fit the consensus. This is why the blockchain ledger is secure. The money exists as a virtual promise on a permanent record that has hundreds of thousands of copies. Alright, so now that we know what Bitcoin is and how it's made and how the transactions work, why is it useful? Well, for one thing, it's a currency, so you can use it as a medium of exchange, i.e. you can buy all the pretty things with it. But it's even more useful than that. The value of Bitcoin is universal because it's based on the internet. Similarly, it's not tied to a country, so you can make global transactions very easily. All you need are wallet addresses so you can deposit the Bitcoin in the right place. Furthermore, it's based on cryptography, meaning that it is tamper-proof. The ledger is public, so you can track down every transaction if you have the right ID, while your personal information is hidden because all you see are wallet addresses, meaning you're anonymous on the blockchain.
Lastly, because the transactions are processed by a decentralized ledger, as in it's a vast network of computers rather than a single central governmental entity, there are no middlemen meddling in your monetary matters. Decentralization is a big feature of cryptocurrencies. In a world where people are less and less trusting of governments and the way they handle economics, such as rampant inflation or a small group of big bankers who are too big to fail controlling the financial world, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin offer people an alternative currency that is based on pure hard mass. So that's the general gist of Bitcoin. Once you learn about the details, it seems less confusing and cryptic as you might have first thought. But if it's just a novel form of currency, why is it all over the news all the time? Let's talk about all the hot controversies about Bitcoin in the next section. Alright, so a very brief history of Bitcoin. It was first invented in 2008, then released in 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto, as we mentioned before. In the early days of Bitcoin, it was not really well known other than by early adopters who were intrigued by the concept of cryptocurrency being a potentially very useful, very powerful technology. The most famous early use case of Bitcoin was on a website called Silk Road, which was an infamous dark web page, acting as a sort of black market eBay. Because Bitcoin promises anonymity and isn't tied to any country, it was a perfect currency to use on a shady website where you could buy all sorts of illegal things. This is one of the reasons why some people have a negative view of Bitcoin still, because they associate it with the black market. Over the next eight years, Bitcoin slowly started getting adopted by various websites as a method of payment, with some of the more tech-savvy people with foresight starting to buy into it. Then, 2017 happened. This is probably when the layperson heard of cryptocurrency for the first time. The price of Bitcoin was around $900 per coin at the start of 2017. By December 2017, it had jumped to $19,783. That's a 22-fold increase in the price. And this is just in the space of a year. In 2015, Bitcoin was only $275 per coin. If you had bought $100 worth of Bitcoins back then, by the end of 2017, it would have been worth $7,200. News of Bitcoin flooded the media, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain being the new buzzwords around town. All the Toms, Dicks, and Harrys were buying up Bitcoin in the hopes of getting rich quick. There are many controversies around this time between people being hyped about the technology and wanting potential investment gains, stonks, versus people who were cautious that this might be a giant speculative bubble and that people were being lulled into potentially blowing their life savings. But then in January 2018, the debate kind of got settled when the price of Bitcoin crashed hard. The bubble had burst, so countless people ended up losing a lot of their hard-earned money. Cryptocurrency lost a lot of credit because people were so devastated by the loss that interest in the technology took a steep dive. But the technology kept developing with advancements and developments along the way. In 2021, cryptocurrency made the news for three other reasons. First, there was another massive boom with the price of Bitcoin soaring to over $60,000 this time. Now, even people who lost a lot of money during the 2018 crash had made a massive profit. Second, a meme coin called Dogecoin spiked really, really hard thanks to some internet phenomenon, which drew in more people wanting to get in on the money train. But then it crashed as part of a pump and dump scheme, so more people lost money. Lastly, people started creating something called NFTs and making ludicrous amounts of money off of it. NFTs are non-fungible tokens, 
but they're not really fun like their name suggests. Essentially, it uses blockchain's unique property of creating an un unalterable ledger to create a digital ID tag. So some people decided to use blockchain technology to create a single token to represent a single piece of digital art. Because digital art can easily be copied or downloaded, it's really hard to prove ownership. The thought was that if you have the non-fungible token, then it's like having a certificate of authenticity to prove that you really own the digital art. Why is this important? I don't know, but apparently people think it's important enough to pay tens of thousand dollars for it. The last controversy about Bitcoin is the environmental effect. Remember how the value of Bitcoin is tied to cryptography and computational power? Well, all of that takes up a lot of computers and electricity. Specifically, Bitcoin miners bought up a ton of graphic cards to build mining rigs, which made the price of computer components spike really hard. And all of those computers suck up a lot of electricity to run. It's been estimated that Bitcoin mining uses up about 120 million megawatt hours per year, which is about how much the state of Virginia in the USA uses. So obviously, there are many valid concerns that having a currency based on such a massively power-consuming process may not be the most ethical thing to do. What do you think? Is it justifiable to dedicate precious energy into creating a virtual decentralized currency? Or do we need this kind of financial revolution to fix some of the fundamentally broken aspects of our monetary system? These are the kinds of questions we are being asked to ponder as technology advances. But for now, let's be content in just understanding what cryptocurrency is in the first place. Okay, so hopefully by now you're an expert on blockchains and its application in cryptocurrency. Okay, that's way too much to ask. Hope I helped make it a little bit easier to understand what all this crypto mumbo jumbo is all about. Before we finish, I thought I'd talk a little bit more on why all of this matters. And before you ask, no, I'm not a cryptocurrency expert, and I'm definitely not a financial advisor, and I think you should do a ton of your own research, more than listening to just one single podcast episode, before even considering investing into Bitcoin or Dogecoin or NFTs or anything in general. Do your own research. Alright, so why is it useful to learn about crypto and Bitcoin and blockchains if I'm not giving investment advice? Well, first of all, it may be the future of money. It could be that in 10, 20 years time, all of our money might be in the form of cryptocurrency and we wouldn't have to worry about exchange rates or how centralized our money is. But more importantly, cryptocurrency is only one way to use blockchain technology. That's the coolest part of all this. The second most popular cryptocurrency, Ethereum, is a good example of this. Ethereum is designed so that you can create applications on the network which you can then use to create something called a smart contract. These are like automatic contracts that function as if a lawyer is executing it when the conditions are met, except it's all done by the blockchain network. For example, you can use it to have a will executed automatically when your death certificate is registered on the system. This would trigger the smart contract, it would get executed, and then the will is processed, all automatically so no intermediaries or trustees or lawyer fees are required. Think of it as a very advanced digital vending machine that can process contracts and agreements. Because it's using blockchain technology, everything's recorded on the chain and it can't be tampered with, making it much more secure than some of the other digital contracts we have nowadays. Similarly, because of the security aspect and how it's decentralized, it can be used for banking or other finance purposes without actually using a bank. Blockchain technology has also been considered for many different digital applications, 
like medical records can be stored securely there, or logistics can be tracked. It's an exciting wild wild west kind of area, because it's such a new technology with lots of promising potential. So don't get too distracted by the investment aspect of it. In the future, we might see blockchain everywhere from ID tags to self-driving cars. And now you know how they work. Alright, so what did we learn today? We learned about blockchains, which are essentially blocks of data linked together using cryptography and lots of computational power. Because they use ridiculous maths to build a chain and it has built-in tamper-proof features, it makes for a very useful way to store information securely, like a ledger. We learned that this ledger can be used as a basis for a novel type of currency called cryptocurrency, with Bitcoin and Ethereum being good examples. This is done by recording who owns how much Bitcoin and every transaction in the world on the blockchain, which is checked by countless computers to make sure there are no errors or faked results. We also learned that blockchains are full of controversy, because it's potentially very useful as a decentralized currency, a secure permanent database, or even smart contracts. But they also suck up a lot of energy, and people have lost a lot of money in speculative bubbles. All in all, I hope you learned just how complicated the world of cryptocurrency is, and you should do a lot of research and learning before you even think about jumping in, in the hopes of making the big bucks. Now, before we finish, I'd like to introduce a new, exciting, tiny corner I like to call Two Minute Explains, where I can explain something short that necessarily wouldn't make it into a whole episode, but I can explain in hopefully less than a couple minutes. Today, I'll tell you about how blood pressure cuffs work. When you go to the doctor and they take your blood pressure, they put a band around your guns, I mean arm, and pump it up until it squeezes your arm really tight. What they're doing is squeezing your arm so tight that you don't get any blood flow through your brachial artery, which is the main artery in your elbow. This means if you put a stethoscope on the pulse point, you wouldn't hear any pulse because there's no blood going through it. But if you slowly relax the pressure in the band, the high part of your blood pressure, the systolic pressure, will be higher than the band pressure. So a small amount of blood goes through the artery, and you hear a whooshing sound over the artery because of all the turbulence. If you relax the band pressure more, it'll eventually become less than the lowest point of your blood pressure, which is the diastolic pressure. At this point, all the blood is going through the artery, so you don't hear any noise again, because the blood is flowing smoothly. So if you pay close attention to what pressure the sound comes on, then disappears again, then you can calculate the blood pressure. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Explain This. I'm trying to make longer, more detailed episodes from now on, so I'm going to release episodes every second Friday instead of weekly. Just so I can balance podcast making with life and all that. Thank you for understanding. I hope you enjoyed this whopper of an episode, because there are more coming down the line. If you have any suggestions for a topic, or even just a two-minute explain, questions of how things work, or what they are, or just have something lovely to say, you can email me on explainthiscast at gmail.com. Otherwise, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and share the podcast to your friends to spread the learning. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.